Running Light Ministry Podcast is brought to you by listeners like you. You can support these podcasts by making a gift to the ministries at runninglight.org. We're rolling and we're going. Welcome to the Better Pleasure Podcast with Peter Martin and Bo Wallet. And we are here with Running Light Ministries to talk about sex in the Bible and sensuality and sexuality and how it all relates together. Uh, we really thank you guys for checking out the podcast and um, sticking with us for all these years. It's been really cool to do these things, and there's so much to talk about, you know, when it comes to this. The Bible's kind of a big book, <laughs> you know. It's a deep book. Yeah, so, um, hey, my my wife just joined. Nice. Where's your wife, dude? Who knows? I don't <laughs> know. You know, you're going to have to call her <laughs> and say, yo, get on Facebook now. <laughs> Check us out. But anyway, we're going to talk about uh, Freedom Part 2 since we did a Part 1. And we're kind of, we've used as a launching pad John Chapter 8. So uh, where Jesus is talking to the Pharisees and then says that if the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. And we're looking at what that freedom means and last week, you know, we talked a little bit and I heard, I heard the podcast again where you were talking and you were saying uh, there was a neat quote from Luther, Martin Luther. Um, and it talked about that we have the the cure or the illness and the cure in us. Right. And um, and so, you know, that we look at freedom and we see that there's a freedom, a potential for freedom from sin now. But there is a also a future prophetic word to that freedom later on, obviously, down the road. Right. Um, so we can say, like, we have a partial freedom, if you will. Or we have the full f- freedom that's promised us now. Right. Um, but in the future, we're going to experience the greatest amount of that freedom from sin. Yeah. One pastor put it this way. I thought it was cool. He said, he said something like this. I'm probably butchering it, but he said something like this. He said, we have glorification in embryo. You know, so it's like when you have an embryo, you have everything necessary to build a human being. You have all the DNA and everything like that, but it just needs time to develop, right? Mm, yeah. And that's what he meant, that right now inside of us, because we have the Holy Spirit, we have everything we need to be perfected. And that's why we have the assurance that one day we will be perfected. We will be like God because we are in embryo, right? We have the glorification in embryo. And so that gives us confidence, but it also gives us like, just like with an embryo, um, as you're watching a baby develop, like, you know, my wife is 24 weeks pregnant, which is awesome. Yes, very cool. When we're looking at the ultrasounds, it's like you start to see their features and they're starting to look like very awesome like you could you could see our baby's face and it's a girl and she's starting to look a lot like her mom which is awesome you know you could see like her nose you could see her cheekbones you can you can see her chin you could see uh you know you could see her chest you could see her back you could see you could see all the components and it's looking more and more like an actual like like she's going to look when she's out of the womb um, so it's really cool. And the Christian's kind of the same way where it's like, we're not there yet. You know, we're not, we're not birthed yet. You know, our birth is when we go into the kingdom, but we are, ha- we're starting to develop all the qualities and the characteristics of what we're going to look like. Right. Yeah. So it's really exciting. But if we look at it as if like it should be done in the next couple of years, then it's very discouraging. Right. So instead of yeah. looking at the progress, you're just going to be looking at what needs to be done and you're going to be very discouraged as opposed to being encouraged. Right. Yeah. And the Bible speaks of uh, a concept that's very Old Testament called the first fruits. So and and what that means for those that that have never really looked into the Bible too much is it just means that in the harvest time in the Jewish ancient culture, when they harvest the first fruits was just that it was the first of the produce that came in and they would dedicate that to God. And then what it was is they were dedicating it to God in the in the hope of a future blessing mm. of God and and in that sense first fruits is kind of seen throughout the whole Bible mm. uh, that Jesus is the first fruits um, for us of the resurrection mm. so just as Jesus rises um, he is the first fruits of a promised future resurrection right and 
So we're going to experience that kind of beautiful glorified body that's not tainted by sinful inclinations anymore. But it's the promise of that. How do we know that's going to happen is the first fruits. Who's the first fruits? Jesus is the first fruits. Right. So that kind of concept too kind of points us to that idea that though freedom, we can have a freedom now, there is really a, a, another aspect of freedom later on down the road in in the Christian life. Right. And uh, another pastor used this as an example too. He called it the three tenses of salvation. Uh, and he said, we are... We are, present tense, saved from the consequences of sin, meaning we're not going to hell anymore, and we are in a relationship with God that will continue into eternity. We are saved from the consequences of sin, present tense. Then there's like a progressive tense where we're like, we're being saved from the power of sin, the pull of sin, right, which is really cool. And then there's a will be, right? We're, we're not there yet at all, but there we will be saved from the presence of sin, mm. right? So we're saved from the consequences of sin, already happened. We are being saved from the power of sin. That's present progressive, meaning it's happening right now. And we will be saved from the presence of sin, meaning it's going to be totally gone one day, right? And I think that's a cool way to look at it too. Hmm. Yeah, absolutely. That's really cool. I was trying to think of an, uh, an illustration with music because I love music so much. I was kind of like, what's a what's a cool illustration with music? But I'll have to think of that because <laughs> I tend to always tend tend to think of those things, you know. Um, it's like a scale. You know? <laughs> yeah, it's like it's there's a beginning and then there's an end, yeah. you know, kind of thing. And, and we're and in the middle somewhere. You know? Yeah, yeah. Well, it's almost like uh, I mean, uh, let me just try to throw some uh, some <laughs> illustration in there. But I kind of think of it like building a chord too, mm. you know, where there's there's steps to it. You know, we're in a chord. You just have three notes. You know, the first, third, and the fifth of the scale. But then, if you add, you know, a seventh to it, and if you add a ninth to it, it starts building on these things. Mm and uh, the foundations and it's that's kind of like the christian life in that way that we have a foundation we have that that cord that foundational cord mm. but then there are there is other other notes that can be added to that cord um to make it even more beautiful right and that's going to happen as it as we move on right you know that's the hope that Jesus is. That's why everything in Christianity really is contingent too on the historical evidence of the resurrection. Right. Um, because that is the linchpin, right? That's right. You know, uh, of everything. But we wanted to talk about too freedom. Well, like when we talk about like dealing with sinful issues and and that kind of stuff, um, how does it, how does our understanding of freedom relate to when we're in the room with people and then it's time to kind of hunker down. And and last week we spent a lot of time talking about what if you looked at looked at the scriptures through kind of a perfect holiness lens. And what I mean is this. Is like what if I said like, "Hey, I gave my life to Jesus Christ. Therefore, I have all the potential of holiness in me hmm. right now. So I can be holy right now in a perfect way." And and sin is of the devil. So any sin that's in my life is of the devil. And so what I need to do is rebuke the devil or the demon or whatever it is that's that's on me. And and that's how you're looking at things. Then you would approach that group. I would imagine you'd get a, all the guys together and they would say, yeah, I'm struggling, man. I viewed pornography the other day. What do I do? And you say, well, first let's rebuke Satan, you know, so we would pray, hey, I rebuke you in the name of Jesus, Satan, you have no authority here, you know, flee, okay, you know, and any demons, you know, they are cast out of this guy, um, you know, in the name of Jesus, and then, and then, good, and then he, he goes home, you know, he does great for three days, and then he, he bails, he, he falls into some sensuality, he comes back, and he says, man, I, I biffed it and um, I fell into to pornography again. Then the leader would say, you know, let's pray against Satan and, and rebuke Satan. And I rebuke you in the name of Jesus. You know, get out of him. You know, demon, I rebuke you in the name of Jesus. And then that guy goes, okay, now, now I'm not aligned with the devil. I'm aligned with Jesus. And then he goes home the second time and then, he he finds that he's struggling again. He's struggling again. 
Um, but yet he's like, man, I don't want to link up with the devil, you know, and, but he, but he does and he bails and then he, he goes, man, and then he comes back to the group and then, and then the group leader on the third time says, hey, let's pray in the name of Jesus. I rebuke the devil. And you see where I'm going. Um, like what else could you do? You know, if that's the theology, you know, or, or is it just getting with that group of people and just casting out Satan every time? Mm. And then what does that really say to the leader who maybe never is getting Satan cast out of him or, or you know, or would he even admit to something <laughs> to even admit that maybe Satan's in him too? Right. You know, because along with the holiness idea is this idea that you can be obviously demon possessed as well as a Christian. Yeah. So <clears throat> essentially, you know, I, I haven't really spoken too much to people from that um, that background. I, I have spoken to some, but predominantly in the group, uh, people like that don't tend to come to our group. Uh, <laughs> and the reason is because we don't do that. Right. So uh in a church like that, in a church setting like that, they wouldn't encourage a group like the one that we have, uh, where you're going every week, you're confessing, you're remaining accountable, because what place does accountability really have if you could just cast out the demon, right? Um, essentially, what they do instead is if, man, like if you have, if you're struggling, like Bo said, you would just go to the church, you would have to go to the pastor, and the pastor would cast out the demon, and uh, they would believe that it's some sort of a demonic oppression on you, that there's some sort of demonic oppression that's pulling you away from God. So they, they cast out the demonic oppression, and then you, you'd go home, and like Bo said, you, you'd probably come back, feel bummed, and, and do that. But essentially what that does is, like I said, it, it precludes you from uh, seeing what the Christian life is all about, because again, you're, you're not seeing the progress, right? You're not seeing it as a progression. You're looking at it as a, as a either it is or it isn't, right? You're looking at it as a pass-fail as opposed to an A to F scale, right? So, like, instead of saying, like, okay, you you are, you know, maybe you're, you're not doing so hot. Maybe you're on the F scale or something like that. Like, here here's how you progress. Like, here's how things you, you could do so you can start getting better. So, you're progressing towards A, which is perfection, but you'll never really get there this side of heaven. But you could progress. You could get up the scale uh, pretty, you know, uh, depending on your lifespan and, and things like that. You could, you could make some pretty significant progress. But um, if you see it as a pass-fail kind of thing, it's like there's really no way to progress. Either you pass it or you fail it. There's no middle ground, right? So either I didn't struggle at all and therefore I passed, or I struggled and therefore I failed. And there's no progression there. There's no, like... How much did you struggle? Is there any progress? Like, th have you gone more than one week without it? You know, like, there's there's no way to look at those really important things to see progression because it's either hit or miss. It's either you pass it or you fail it, uh, which is really negative. And it's kind of the way you look at Scripture, too. Like, um, in First John, it says, he who sins is of the devil. Right. I'm pretty sure it's in First John. Right. Where it says that. Where, you know, when, if someone just pulled that passage out and didn't look at that passage within the context of First John and the history of First John, they might see that kind of black and white, fail, pass thing. He who sins is of the devil. Right. So if you sin, you're of the devil. We need to get rid of the devil. Right. Right. And that, that would be the way they would look at it. So I wanted to read a cool passage that shows this progression. I think it's, it's really neat to show why God is doing it the way that he does. Second uh, Peter chapter 1, verse 5, it says, but also for this very reason, by the way, the very reason that he's talking about comes earlier in verse uh, 3, that says, as his divine power has given us to us all things, right, that pertain to Second uh, Peter 1. Okay. Um, so I, I kind of flipped. Uh, I'm just going to start in verse 3 because it's a better yep, place to start. Not, that's cool. But it says, as his divine power has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Man, uh -huh. we have all things that pertain to life and godliness. It's really cool. Through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. So if you just read verses 3 through 4, you'd be like, okay, it sounds like that pass-fail thing. You know, either you have all things that pertain to godliness, you've partaken of the divine nature, and you've escaped the corruption of the flesh, or you haven't, right? But then it mm -hmm. keeps going. Now listen to this. But also... 
for this very reason. So notice, this is not a separate thought. This is coming from the same thought. Because we have this, for this reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness, to godliness brother, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness love. Okay, so Peter says, because we have these things, so we've escaped, corru escaped corruption, we need to add, right? So there's a progression, like he's showing a progression of how we, how we move forward. Now, the question is, is if, if three and four are true, meaning if what Peter is saying in verse three and four are true, and we're already there, we already have everything, why is there this need for progression? Specifically, the types of progression that he talks about. Listen to the words he uses, diligence, virtue, Right? Virtue means morality. Right? So he seems to insinuate that we're not moral yet. Right? <laughs> that we're needing to build on our morality. That our ethical living, ethical way of living needs to be built upon. Um, he talks about knowledge, meaning that we don't know all of God. Self-control. Self-control is a totally useless thing to have if you don't if struggle. You, if you have control. If you have control. <laughs> right? So if you have control, you don't need self-control. <laughs> That's right. Meaning if... if I have self-control. What that means is it means I have urges and desires that need to be controlled, right? That, that go against what is holy, right? Another word for that is temptation, okay? And that's why I, I say this often to the guys in the group. That's why self-control is the one fruit of the Spirit that I don't really hear a lot of pastors boasting about, right? Uh, I hear a lot of pastors talking about the fruit of peace and patience and kindness and love and all these other things, but not self-control. Why not? In order for me to boast about my self-control, I have to also tell you what I am controlling, right? So I can't just say I have terrific self-control. Well, the obvious question you could ask me is, Peter, what are you controlling? What are the desires and the urges that need you to have such high amounts of self-control? And then I'd have to answer it. Be like, oh, okay, like I want to view porn. I want to have sex with women who are not my spouse. I want to uh, scream at this person. I want to drink. I want to whatever. And I can't, I know that I shouldn't do it. And so I must wrestle with that desire and I must fight it and I must not give in to it, right? But that's an admittance that I have the desire. Uh, but then he keeps going. He says perseverance. Once again, what use is perseverance if you've already arrived, right? What, I, I already graduated high school. I don't need perseverance to graduate high school. I've already done it, right? If you're 100% holy, what purpose is there for perseverance? Jesus is not persevering anymore. Does that make sense? Like he's, mm -hmm. he's not persevering to become perfected. He's already perfect. When you're in heaven, you don't need perseverance anymore. It's a completely useless virtue because you're already completely holy. You can't become more holy than you already are. Perseverance is only useful if you haven't arrived yet, if you're progressing, right? Then he keeps going. Godliness to godliness, brotherly kindness to brotherly kindness, love, right? So these are all things that he says, you don't have it yet. You have, verse 3 and 4, you have them in concept. You have everything that you need to gain these things and to build them, but you don't have them in perfection yet, right? They're, they're, there's a process happening in your life. Now, for the guys who come into the group, if they don't understand this progression thing, it'd be kind of like using Bo's metaphor, uh, well, it's the Bible's metaphor, but Bo used it, of the first fruits, right? Now, the first fruits were really cool because they let the farmer know that more was coming. But the first fruits were actually kind of small, meaning that the amount of wheat or barley or, you know, fruit or whatever you were going to get during the season of the first fruits was a fraction of what you were going to get during the harvest time. It was only a tiny amount. But if you judged the first fruits the same way you would judge the harvest, you'd be massively disappointed. You'd be wondering, did I do something wrong? Did I not plant these correctly? Did I not, you know, you would only get a fraction of what you need. It would be, to use this as an example, it'd be like those of you guys who are living off of $50,000 a year, imagine if you only got $10,000 this year, right? What would you be thinking? You'd be panicking. You'd be like, how am I going to live off this? What am I going to do, right? You, that, that would be like that farmer trying to live off the first fruits. He's trying to live off of $10,000 when he's used to living after $50,000, right? In the same way, the Christians, you're judging the first fruits the way you're judging the harvest, right? You're expecting that the first fruits are going to give you the same amount of holiness as the harvest, and that's just not true, right? The first fruits are awesome. They're really great, but they're only awesome insofar as they point you to the harvest, insofar as they make you encouraged to pursue the harvest. So if a guy comes in here with holiness doctrine, and if he falls even one time, he doesn't see any progression, 
right? Even if he's gone like month, you know, I hear guys say these. And I said to Bo when I first started fighting this thing, I was like, man, you know, I fell again. And Bo's like, well, isn't that great that you went like a couple months without viewing it? I'm like, yeah, but I, I fell again. It's my much. optimism. Right? <laughs> I suppose <laughs> optimism, which is cool, you know. But I would just be like, yeah, but I fell again. That proves I haven't changed at all. And Bo would be like, what are you talking about? Like, don't you think you had to have changed a lot to go three months without viewing porn as opposed to before where you viewed it like every day? And I, But because I had this expectation of perfection, I couldn't see the growth. All I could see was that I wasn't perfect yet, and so I felt like I was at square one, right? All the progress I had made got thrown out the window. It was like nothing had happened in my mind when a lot of stuff had happened, where the way I should have seen it was like, wow, like the first fruits are happening in my life. Like I'm, I'm progressing. Like there's, there's, a, there's a good work that's happening in me that God will bring to perfection until the day of Christ Jesus. Like there's there's something going on in my life that's amazing, right? God is driving out the sin in my life. And it the, what's the proof? That I'm progressing, that I'm getting better. That's amazing, right? Yeah, and and that's the cool thing is that it's there's so pers- so much perspective here of of instead of looking at, you know, the fail succeed a format of of this situation of struggling with sin then there's just the 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 one that we see so strong and biblically and that is the the abiding in the vine Hmm. just abiding in jesus learning to abide in christ and and being encouraged when you are working on on these things that you're talking about in second peter because my my illustration of of, or my example, I should say, of the leader getting with that person when he's in the holiness perfection um, doctrine, and he's saying, "Hey, you sinned again. Let's cast the demon out again. Let's rebuke that demon. Let's put the authority of Jesus in your life." And and that's his answer to everything. What it does is it distracts from really I th- I find the inner things that are going on in the person's life. Right. You know, so why does that person view pornography? You know, and this is where I think, you know, a lot of us uh, in the church have kind of missed out. And that is, you know, uh, you look at, you read some of uh, some famous psychologists today who they're writing in and, and those that are in the field of sexual addiction. And they're going to tell you that predominantly every person that goes to them with a, a self diagnosed sexual addiction has other issues going on in their life meaning no one's going to the person saying hey i'm a sex addict and and, that's it and that's it (laughs) it's like i'm a sex addict what do you do um i have sex with other people um is there anything else like you know going on in your life um are you depressed are you um you know do you have a lot of anxiety in your life are you stressed do you have a lot of fear in your life um, do you not feel like you're liked by other people? You know, is there strong insecurities going in your life? It's not like they answer no to all those. And they just go, yeah, I just, I, I'm great with everything. I'm yeah. just, I just, I just go up to people and just ask them randomly on the corner, like on the street, hey, you know, is it okay if we have sex? And, right. You know, and that's like the only thing. There's always these other things going on. And so sometimes I think, you know, we're so distracted by rebuking the demon or, or the devil and we don't subscribe to that 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 doctrine per se, um, but I'm saying in the example that you when you do that you're distracting from searching in a person's you know what's going on really within them right yeah. and that's why you know I, to this day I do thank God you know that I have this that He left this area of temptation in my life. Um, what that sounds ridiculous (laughs) which is like it may sound crazy and so let me let me kind of explain that i'm not saying that god forced me to sin or like you know anything like that but what i'm saying is that god it's within god's power and i hope we all know this it's within god's power to remove all temptation from your life right that's not something that is beyond god's ability or authority in this creation he could do that he could tell satan and all the devils and everything else that you're even your flesh he could just shut them all down. He could be like, no more. No more temptation. Nothing like that. But he doesn't, right? He allows these things to exist inside of your life. And there's reasons of why. And I, my favorite metaphor for this, by the way, 
Um, there's many passages in the New Testament that, that allude to this. James 1 is my favorite, though. But James 1, he talks about those who, in, blessed is the man who endures temptation, meaning that there's a blessing for people who go through temptation. But in, he's, he's alluding to this area in the Bible where the children of Israel are entering into the land and God is refusing to take out the enemies. And they were wondering why. Why doesn't God send a plague in there? Why doesn't God, you know, rain down comets or something like that and just kill everybody in the land? So we just go in. So it's a bloodless victory. Like we, we don't have to sacrifice any of our guys in order to get in. And in Judges, God gives one answer. He gives a couple answers, but this is my favorite one. In Judges, he says, I will not drive out the enemy. Like he specifically says it. He says, I will not do that. You guys have to fight. And he says, this is why. So that your children may learn how to fight, right? Meaning that God is saying to them, he's saying to these people, he's like, look, you are in a hostile territory, right? You're, you're in a territory that is owned by the enemy. You need to know how to fight, right? There's going to be people that are going to come against you. You need to know how to fight. If I just drove all these people out, you would get in and you would be clueless about how to take care of yourselves, right? So when any hardships or calamities came your way, you wouldn't know what to do. You would be completely helpless, right? In the same way, if God removed all the temptation and struggle from our lives, that's great, but now we have no idea. We still live in a fallen world, right? With fallen issues all around us, right? Yeah, it's an enemy enemy camp. That's right. It's an enemy camp. There's relational relational issues. There's internal issues like Bo was talking about, depression, anxiety, uh, insecurities, things like that. All these things exist inside of your life. If God just removed all temptation, you wouldn't know how to fight. You wouldn't know how to pick up the sword and swing, right? So in my life, this area of temptation taught me how to fight. And it enabled me to go after some of these other issues that Bo was talking about. I had never, up until the point I started fighting this sin, I had never evaluated any of that. I had never evaluated my depression. I had never evaluated my insecurities. I had never evaluated my anger, my pride, my selfishness. None of these things. I didn't care about any of them. The only thing I cared about were these outward issues, right? Uh, do I do this? Do I do that? No, I don't drink. I don't do drugs. Um, I don't have sex with other girls, therefore I'm a good person, right? Yeah, and that's very that's very um, religious Pharisee kind of attitude, right? That's right. Is they look at their life and they go, "Hey, I'm not doing this," but Jesus said, "You're whitewashed tombs." Right. So they were like a tomb, like a uh, the head of a tomb. Um, what do they call it? The headstone. And that they're they look nice. It's like a, like you go to the cemetery and you see these beautiful, <laughs> elaborate. Yeah. yeah, you're like, wow, that's so awesome. And Jesus says, you're just like that, man. You look great on the outside, but if you dig that that beast up underneath it, <laughs> you know, it's gonna be nasty. And um, and so he he said that. You know, there's one thing too. I I just want to share, and that is, you know, when we approach that idea of freedom, um, of freedom from sin. Um, in recovery circles with the idea of rebuking the devil or rebuking demons, I think there is a, 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 a biblical precedent to be careful about this kind of way of, of going in leadership. Because um, when I read the book of Jude, who Jude was the half-brother of Jesus, and he says he writes his, his writing um, before Revelation, the book of Revelation in your Bible, um, he wanted to write about their common salvation, it says in, in verse 3. But it says then he, he decided to write to them, exhorting them to earnestly contend for the faith. And, and in doing so, he talks about really the false teachers of his day. And one of the things that he sees in his false teachers is um, these dreamers, he calls them. He says they defile the flesh, reject authority, and speak evil of dignitaries. And yet, and then he says, yet Michael, the archangel in contending with the devil when he disputed the body of Moses, dared not bring against him a reviling accusation, uh, but said, the Lord rebuke you. But these speak evil of what they do not know and whatever they know naturally, like brute beasts in these things, they corrupt themselves. Very strong warning there, right? That, that there is a, a tendency for us as Christians to look at the authority that we've been given by Jesus and we have been given an authority by Christ, which is really amazing. But we can take that and think that we are in this position right now to look at spiritual 
wickedness and specifically the devil or demons and go further than saying the Lord rebuke you and to get really into an elaborate um, kind of dialogue with um, spiritual things. Um, and, and when we emphasize that so much, I think, in recovery, where we say, okay, let's rebuke the devil, let's rebuke the demons, and then next week again, it's rebuke the devil <laughs> and rebuke the demons. It, de- it never ends there. It always, like, the, the language starts going further than just rebuking the devil. Because I think it's a good place in my own life to, to say, you know, uh, you know, the Lord rebuke you, right. Satan. You know, the Lord rebukes you. And, and I think it's a good place for me to say, you know, uh, Lord, you've given me an authority and, and I want you, that authority that you've given me and the authority of you being the head of me to, to, to wipe out any, any evil from my life and help me with that. Um, but it seems like in the sinful nature of the religious person, we never just stop there. We always tend to go further into what Jude's saying, where now they speak evil of what they do not know of. Right. You know, they go even further. They 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 exercise an authority. Um, they, let's say they cross the line, maybe. Right. And the way I kind of think of it is kind of like a spoiled kid. You know, if you have a kid that's the son of like some politician or something like that, some some kid who's like uh, from a very wealthy family. And he gets a little full of himself, and he forgets that the authority that he has comes from his family. It's not from him. Meaning that he starts to get this idea of, like, I'm rich. I'm powerful. I'm this. I'm that. Well, it's like, well, you are, but you are only those things because of who your dad is, right? You should be, you should be humble about that. In the same way, Christians can get that way where we're like, you know, I'm powerful. I could cast out Satan. I'm this and I'm that. Well, it's like, well, no, the Holy Spirit can do that. The Lord could do that. Then he could use you to do that, but you can't do that, right? You don't have the authority or power to do any of these things, right? And like Bo said, if I'm going every week to church and I'm having someone else cast his spirit out of me, what it's solidifying in my head is that the power, where is it coming from? If I have to go to the same dude to cast out the same demon every week, clearly he has a power and authority that I don't have, which means that the authority is not God, it's the dude, right? It's the church. It's this uh, yeah, a guy who has like uh, one of the one of, you always hear the fivefold spirit of uh, spirits. Uh, re- Ephesians chapter four talks about the fivefold manifestations of the um, um, the places of leadership. You know, the apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. Right. That's where you know you have churches that have fivefold ministry kind of thing. Even though my pastor always says, oh, they got it wrong. It's actually fourfold. Pastors and teachers is the same in the Greek. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so it's like, he always makes a joke off that. But, um, you know, they think like, hey, if I just go to the right person, then maybe that 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 will stick. Right. You know, that's going to to affect me. Right. You know, the righteous prayer of the of the righteous man availeth much. Maybe I need to go to that righteous person and that righteous one will, it'll have the effect that it needs to have. And that's the insinuation, right? That right. I'm not righteous. Right. I need to find that righteous person. Why? Because his righteousness must not be from faith because if his righteousness was from faith, then guess what? We're all equally righteous, right? So if I have to go find the righteous man, that means that that righteous guy is righteous because of his works. Yeah. He must be doing something that makes him more righteous than me. Therefore, God must hear his prayers more intently than he hears mine. Yeah, so there's a lot of, like, misunderstanding of scriptures. And so that, w- and when you when you put different scriptures on the weighing scale, it kind of puts it, you know, it just makes it heavy. Yeah. Um, and, and if you don't balance it out with other scriptures and really find out what it's, what it's saying within its context, it can... It can get real dicey quick. Yeah. You know, John uh, says online, he says, falling into te- to temptation aren't sources. Well, falling into temptation aren't sources of shame mm-hmm. in your life. They are avenues of God's grace, accepting God's forgiveness to press on toward holiness. Mm-hmm. And I like that, you know, and it, it brings up in my mind a, a quote from C.S. Lewis. In uh, his book, Mere Christianity, he's got a chapter on faith. And he talks about how God grows our faith. And uh, in that chapter, he mentions the, uh, the struggle against sin. He talks about what we're talking about today. And he says, some people will complain about this. They're like, why doesn't God just deliver me? 
And he says, perhaps what God really wants to impress upon you is the nature of grace, mercy, perseverance, endurance, and character, which are far greater gifts than deliverance from the sin itself. And I've always liked that quote because it's, it's so cool where he's like, how else could you learn perseverance unless you have to persevere through something? How else can you learn endurance unless you have to endure something? How else can you learn character unless your character is tested? And how else can you learn grace and forgiveness unless you need it, right? Yeah. And I, I love this. So it's just so such an interesting point that he's making. And I, I like what John says there, where it's like, obviously falling to sin isn't a good thing, right? That's obviously it's not, it's not a good thing. But the good that can come out of it is that deeper understanding of God's grace and mercy that, yeah, you know, that's right. I'm not accepted because I'm awesome, right? God doesn't have a relationship with me because I don't sin. He has a relationship with me in spite of my sin. Yeah, the yeah. Psalms say that all all living are not righteous before him. Right. You know, so that makes it clear. Right. And so and, and C.S. Lewis makes a, a really strong point on that. So, yeah, great point. Yeah, well, John's... Um, you got a good good thing there. Um, I was kind of thinking more along the line too of, um, you know, just working with guys. You know, what's it like working with guys and having that progressive understanding that holiness is something we're looking for ahead, mm. but it's not something we we ultimately have in a hundred percent way right now. Yeah. There are there are things that we're doing. Um, so there is a work that's taking place. And we read over that list in, in Second Peter chapter 1 of those character qualities and persevering and, and things like that. Last week we talked a little bit about, you know, the reason why it's important to be in a group um, uh, where you're confessing and talking about sin in your life is because... There is a healing that takes place as we confess our sins one to another. Mm. And it's funny that the Bible's so ahead of its day, too, because we realize that nowadays people always say in psychology, man, like the problem is, is people don't have people to talk to to be honest with, you know. And with social media, everybody's putting on a front anyway of what's really going on in their life or things of that nature yeah. where there's not many, many times where people can sit and really just be honest with another person. Right. So having a group where you can go and be honest, people will say, Hey, well, that's just, you're just dumping, you know, your sins. You're not really changing. You're just dumping your sins on people, you know, and, and, uh, but it's got to start somewhere. Jesus told us to confess our sins to him, mm. you know, to the father. And so he obviously knew we were going to have sin. That's kind of like an, an ignorant statement for two reasons. Um, the first reason is like, okay, w when you say you're not changing, okay, well, most people that I talk to that struggle with this issue, one of the major problems that they had with their loved ones was the secrecy and the deception, right? So it's the fact that they were so scared of people finding out that they deceived and they lied to everybody around them about what they were really doing. And they manipulated so the fact that like, so to say, to look at it and be like, well, all you're doing is confessing and dumping your problems. You're not really changing. That's very ignorant because it's like, okay, well, they're being honest now. Like, hey, yeah, they might be still falling. They might be still messing up, but there is a change. Like, is it, isn't it better for this person to learn honesty and integrity uh, as opposed to being the same deceptive, manipulative person that they were before? Secondly, the Bible says in James 5.16, the passage that Bo just quoted, um, confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed for the prayer of a righteous man availeth much. So there's this idea where it's like the prayer, like when I confess to somebody and they're praying for me, do you believe in the power and the work of God? That that prayer, that it's the prayer of this guy, this fellow brother or sister in Christ that I'm confessing to, that their prayer is doing something in my walk with God and it's doing something before me and God. That yeah, I have my own personal prayer time with the Lord and I'm praying for him, but do you believe that intercessory prayer has a place? That there's a reason for it? That there's a power to intercessory prayer? And the third reason why it's, why it's kind of ignorant is because do you believe that confession can lead to accountability, right? So now that I'm confessing to these people, maybe now I'm listening to advice and counsel from these people and I'm learning and I'm learning how to fight better, right? So it's got to start, like Bo said, it's got to start somewhere where it's like, yeah, now, now I'm entering into the light. Now I'm receiving prayer and intercession 
for my struggle. Now I'm receiving accountability and counsel to help me in my fight, right? All these things are steps. Yeah, like like I, I think of like first John three eight, he who sins is of the devil, for the devil is sinned from the beginning. For this purpose the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. And see some people read that and they just go they see it as a like, that's it. It's it's you're in you're in God's camp or you're in the devil's camp and those kind of things. But the scripture speaks so much of what it looks like um, to walk in this way of of defeating the devil. Mm. And and it really has to do a lot with the church. Um, And the reason why I say that is because the church is something that Jesus talked about that upon Peter, he would build his church. And it's really on his confession of that Jesus is the Christ that we would build, he would build his church and that hell would not prevail against his church. And so there are things within the body of Christ that when the body is working properly um, and functioning right, there are avenues where there's accountability and there's confession. And and re- always remember, in order to have mercy and grace, you have to have something to have mercy on and be gracious towards and so there has to be an area of of uh that needs to be forgiven and and everybody within the church the pastor the elders the deacons they all need to be working in this way too because they need to all be working this is how god has established it it's so that we're dependent on each other so if I'm not confessing my sins to someone, if I'm not t- saying, hey, Peter, this is what I'm struggling with, you know, um, help me with that, you know, um, and then maybe we develop some accountability things that we can work on or those kind of things. And nothing's sure proof. Don't see that's the thing. Nothing's sure proof. Your flesh can go all aggro and go anywhere it wants to go at any time. Really, it is a body of death for sure. But walking in a in the spirit is walking in in the church. It starts with walking in the church, and it's through these avenues that we develop the virtues. You know, we develop virtues through. As I start confessing, I start learning humility. That's a virtue. See, I might never have learned humility because I never confessed. Hmm. So, you know, I might be a pastor for fifteen, twenty years. But I've never learned the virtue of humility because I've never really confessed anything to any. I might share, I might teach great messages on it, but I myself might never really know what it is, you know, or, or live it out. And so, you know, you develop the virtues within the body of Christ as we meet and as we do, uh, you know, when we share accountability, we start learning brotherly love. Man, what a cool uh, virtue that is. You know, just brotherly love, right? Phileo, learning how to walk with one another. You don't think David and Jonathan, they had discussions about their struggles in life? I mean, gosh, I mean, Jonathan had a mess of a pop. <laughs> and, I don't, you know, a lot of us have, you know, struggles with parents, and he certainly did. And David had <laughs> a plethora of issues himself. <laughs> so, so the virtues... You know, virtues are important to us, the Christian virtues, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control, humility, you know, all these things that the Bible speaks of. But they stem not on an island. They stem within this. So it, it, it does have to start, you know, with us sitting down with one another and, and um, learning just to take these things one by one, these instructions. Right. You know? Right. So that's how freedom can really... That's how freedom can be defined, is learning to walk in the virtues of Jesus Christ within the body of Christ. Right, and what I've seen in, in working with men is that the men who don't understand this, they lack all amounts of stability, right? They're the men who are like, they're here one minute, and then they're gone for two months doing something that they shouldn't be doing, you know? And then you hear back from them, they're like, I'm a mess, you know? And the reason why they're doing that is because they have this perspective. They have this ideal of holiness. And so they start, they stop viewing porn for a while. And they're like, I've nailed it, right? I'm there. 
And they're not working on these other things that Bo's talking about. They're not working on perseverance. They're not working on endurance, brotherly kindness, humility. Yeah. There's something far right. worse than porn, and people need to get that through their head. Right. <laughs> right. So it's like even the guys who, like I said, even the guys who are free from porn, right? They're, they're not doing these things anymore. They, they still could be messing up their lives. They could still be messing up their marriages with these other issues, their selfishness, their... Uh, their insecurities, their narcissism, right? And I don't know if you've ever found this out, but, you know, I know in my walk, the more I have um, found a relative um, freedom from porno pornography, um, the more prideful I have become. Right. And I don't know if you've seen that in yourself. Yeah. But it's really a wreck, you know, to to really see it you know, in all of its flaming glory. Yeah. And, you know, you think like, wow, I've, 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 I've got through porn, but man, there's something in you that just cries out because man, you've become such a prideful person. Right. And I find in my own heart, that's how it is. It's like, you know, you, okay. Yeah. I, I didn't watch porn, you know, but I find that, man, there, there's so much envy and judgment within my heart. Right. Um, on, people and i just go whoa yeah. you know that's that's gnarly that's why like you know jesus i believe it's in luke uh, 23 when he's rebuking the scribes and pharisees and he says you go out and you make a proselyte and you make him twice the son of hell that he was before ouch you know <laughs> which is kind of crazy so it's like these pharisees are going out and they're making these people more moral and jesus is actually saying they were better off before they were moral it's kind of a radical concept. Yeah, it's almost like the Hitler thing, right? Where he he has a purity movement in Germany. Right. Where it's like maybe that dude, like, yeah, like C.S. Lewis put it. I think he put it the best of anyone else. He said, it's better to be the whore than the Pharisee. Yeah. Better still to be neither. <laughs> but if you had to choose, it's better to be the whore than the Pharisee, right? So uh, some of these guys, like, man, yeah, you were a mess when you were viewing porn, but you're actually more of a mess as a Pharisee. Right. And that's been so true in my life, as Bo said, you know, like sometimes, you know, I'll have spans of freedom and I'll be like, man, I'm doing pretty good, you know. And then that transitions to I'm pretty good. And yeah, like, look at me and I'll, I'll be listening to other people's confessions. And I'm like, man, I haven't confessed in a while. You know, I'm, yeah. doing, pff, man, I'm pretty awesome. And, th and that's know? why it's important. That's why, again, groups are important, um, and, you know, because God obviously establishes the church for a reason and the gates of hell will not prevent prevail against his church as I've said that before. Um, but when you are walking in, you know, when you say, hey, okay, I'm free, I'm walking in freedom, and you're going to the, gr and you go, okay, I don't need to go to the group, you really missed out because there's other things that you really need to work on confession. Again, confession builds the virtue of humility. Mm. And so when you, when I'm confessing, like, you know what, I, I didn't watch porn or I didn't self-gratify. I wasn't thinking lustful thoughts this week, but, you know, I, I am not treating people right in my life or there's envy that is just really gripping me in my life where I desire what other people have. Mm. Um, and, and it's really a, a bummer, you know, and when you bring that real heart of, uh, uh, that confessional heart when you learn to create that culture of confession um, again that those virtues you know you start having the accountability of brotherly love and now people are you know that are around you are now saying hey how are you doing in that area of your life and and it opens up the I that that avenue to build another virtue a virtue of forgiveness too uh, what another great virtue that we have in the scriptures, you mm -hmm. know, to learn to forgive one another's sins as we have forgiven, as we have asked God to forgive our own sins. Because uh, sometimes you feel like freedom ministries, like like the leaders are to a point where they never have to go through the disciples prayer at all. They'll never have to confess, you know, their own sins because they just don't have anyone anymore because they're free, right. you know, from from whatever, you know, was the major thing in their life. But but it's a really a misunderstanding that when you're free, you know, when you if you work with a lot of people with drugs or you work in those things, you get them off drugs and it's not like they're better people. Right. Like initially, right off the bat, there's other things that need to develop. There's virtues that need to develop through the avenues of humility and becoming honest and 
saying, man, you know what? I still struggle with this or I still am battling that or I'm working on this or man, I find a lot of failure here and, and I needed to go talk to that person there. Um, you know, so so freedom, the way you define freedom is going to just, uh, it's going to theologically, the way you define it is, it will manifest itself in the church and how people see freedom. Some people will want to go to a church that is more, um, I rebuke you in the name of Jesus kind of way because they're desiring so much to break free from that sin that that the 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 things of learning uh second peter chapter one of persevering and character and building love and all the virtues it's too difficult right it's too difficult they don't want to go through the the building of that character right right we live in a very instant gratification culture right where it's yeah. like what would you the average person today if you told them that like hey you have high cholesterol you could either work out exercise and eat right or you could take this pill Right. What's the what's <laughs> the thing that people are going to do? It's like, yeah, I'll take the pill. Yeah. Hey, it's going to fix your cholesterol, but you're not going to be any healthier. Right. So in the same way with the Christian church, it's like it tickles the ears to hear that. Like, oh, I could just be rid of it. Like, all I got to do is go to this conference or get this guy to pray over me. And it's just gone like that. That sounds a lot better than doing what we're talking about, working steps, going and going out, persevering, enduring, right? That sounds, you're like, gosh, that sounds like a lot of work. I don't yeah, and when that. we say steps, we don't mean the 12 steps per se. What we mean is steps as in like, hey, let's just learn to confess with people and build a virtue of humility in your life. Right. Let's learn some accountability in your life and learn what brotherly love is and mm -hmm. develop that area. Of, or let's learn to cut off different avenues in our life, you know, and, and that kind of thing. Uh, so we we develop a chastity, you know, in our life, you know, a a purity within our heart, you know, or w before our eyes or things of that nature. So it's 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 learning to do those things. Um, so really cool podcast, man. I, I think this one had a lot of good stuff in there, too. And and for, you know, leaders too to check out. And I think. You know, some people are going to go, man, you guys are crazy. And we go, well, I, okay, yeah. <laughs> you know. <laughs> but uh, um, anyway, we appreciate you guys for sure listening and pay attention and uh, being on with us for so long, man. And uh, um, if you guys have any questions, you can email Peter. He's the smart guy. Peter at <laughs> runninglight.org. Peter at runninglight.org. And then I'm Bo at runninglight.org as well. And point people to the website. Um, it's at runninglight.org or betterpleasure.net. Um, it's a few other, I think, names too. <laughs> but uh, just remember runninglight.org or betterpleasure.net. That'll, that'll work. And we've, we've put up so many things for parents and on videos. And we have such a heart for, for the way people convey these issues, especially in our culture, in the church culture. Thanks, guys. We'll talk to you guys later, okay? Take care. Thank you. Check out runninglight.org to begin our two video series, Take Flight and Love or Lust. You can also send us questions on Twitter at Running Light or on our runninglight.org podcast page. Like us on Facebook at Running Light Ministries, Psalm 36.8. They are abundantly satisfied with the fullness of your house, and you give them drink from the river of your pleasures. <laughs>